Well, good morning, Northside Medina. It is so good to be with you today. We're going to continue. Yeah, we can clap for that. All right, that's cool. Uh, Today we're going to continue in our series called Temptation Traps. And if you missed last week, Jeff talked to us about the story of Job. Fantastic story, but shared how Job and Satan had this long dialogue, 40 chapters, this really long book, very depressing book, right, about how Job was just tempted and tempted over and over again. But those are actually the same ways that you and I are tempted. And then Jeff shared two important definitions that we must remember as we continue through this series, the definition of sin and temptation, right? Sin is disobeying or breaking God's law. Temptation is the desire to break God's law, the desire to do something wrong or unwise. And they're not the same thing. A lot of times we think that they are, but they're actually not because to be tempted is not to sin. Remember Jesus in the wilderness, he was tempted, but yet he did not sin. So every single one of us have temptation traps. And if we're not careful, those traps will wind up being the end for us. I read a story about the Zulu people of South Africa and how they catch the ring-tailed lemur or the ring-tailed monkey. You guys love these little animals, right? They catch them for the zoos in America. And it's been said that one of these, uh, these animals are some of the hardest to actually nab, but not for the Zulus. They use a very simple but very effective trap. It's just a melon growing on a vine. And what they do is they cut a small hole in this melon because they know that one of the favorite snacks of the ring-tailed lemur are the seeds within that melon. So they cut a hole small enough for their open hand to fit through, but when they grab the seeds and they make a fist, it now cannot come back out of the hole because their fist is double the size of the hole. And so they will yank and they will squeal and screech. And this is what lets the Zulu people know, hey, they've been caught. And so they simply just walk up behind the ringtail lemur and they grab him. And that's how it works because they often refuse to let go of the seeds. So I've got a question for you. What are the seeds that are tempting you? What are the seeds that are tempting you? Is it greed? Maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. The desire to fit in. Could it be the desire to stand out? The desire to be better than others? You know, since each of us struggle with temptation, it is so important for us to learn how to avoid it. How do we avoid these temptation traps? And that's actually what this series is all about. We're going to look throughout Scripture to see what God's truth has to say about overcoming temptation. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 1. That's where we're going to be reading today, James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your Bible apps on your phones or you can follow along on the screen. But I want to tell you how the progression of temptation works. And it's right here on the screen. So if you've got your outlines, you can jot this down. I'm going to tell you up front. And then we'll break each point down. So this is how temptation works. It starts with desire. Then it goes to deception. And that leads to disobedience, which ends in death. Desire, deception, disobedience, death. That's the reality of how every temptation you and I face works. While that can be scary, followers of Jesus, we don't need to be scared. We don't need to be intimidated. You and I do not need to be worried about temptation traps for one reason and one reason alone. 
Because through Jesus, we can be delivered. Amen? Through Jesus, we can be delivered. So let's begin by reading James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. I'd like you guys to read this out loud with me, please. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So right off the bat, we see this word, when. Not if tempted, but when we are tempted. And the truth is, temptations are inevitable. They are everywhere. And if you look back at verse 2, James says something very interesting. He writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So what he does is he links trials with temptations. He pairs struggles in life with the temptation to sin. They go hand in hand. Now, if you thought about your life maybe over the last month or maybe the last six months, if you really thought about your life, I bet you could see this connection. When you went through something difficult, was there also a period of disobedience that accompanied it? Or maybe when you experienced disappointment in your life, could be at work, could be at school, could be on the sports team, were there also a few destructive decisions you made, things that you knew were wrong, but you chose to do them anyway because you were hurt, you were angry, you were disappointed, you were upset. For example, if you had a terrible day at work, nothing went your way, the boss just keeps yelling at you, you turned in a project, it wasn't good enough, so he threw it back at you, and you just are fed up. And on your way home, you pass the liquor store, and you think, you know what? It's been a crappy day. I deserve that. I deserve to go have a bottle. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe you pass up Dunkin' Donuts and you think to yourself, oh, man, I deserve a whole box of Dunkin' Donuts today, right? So James doesn't tell us why trials and temptations are paired together, but we can speculate on it. We can guess. And what I've seen is that so many of us have that I deserve it mentality. I deserve it. If I'm going through this and it's bad, then I deserve that. If I don't control this, I, I can't deal with the outcome of this, then I definitely deserve that, this guilty pleasure. And that's why it's called a guilty pleasure, because it's wrong, and we know that it's wrong. Maybe you're sick and tired of being disrespected by a coworker or a classmate. Day after day, they belittle you. They just, they just knock you down and just emotionally berate you. So you feel like you deserve to let them have it. And you've taken all that you can take. So you just go off on them one day and you call them every name in the book because they had it coming. Maybe there's a wife who's disappointed that her husband hasn't noticed her. He hasn't given her flowers in months. He's not emotionally connected with her. And she feels like, she deserves somebody to treat her like a queen. So she builds an unhealthy relationship with a different guy at work that does pay attention and that does notice her. Or maybe there's a husband who's upset with his wife for continually being rejected day after day. So you feel that you deserve to spend time on a website that you know you shouldn't be visiting. Now, obviously, none of those are the right responses. 
And if we make those decisions, they continue to damage that relationship further. They don't fix the problem. So you and I cannot give into this I deserve it mentality. That's how James starts this chapter off. When trials and temptations come, we don't address it with I deserve this guilty pleasure. Now let's look back at verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And this is so important to understand. Now, sometimes God does test our faith. He does test our faith. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we see examples of God testing the faith of believers. Sometimes he does allow us to go through trials. We don't like it, but he allows it. Just like Job last week, he allowed Job to go through that trial. But God will never, ever tempt you to sin. That's not in his nature. That does not come from God. Temptation does not come from God. So where does it come from? Well, James tells us. Look at this, verse 14. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Say that with me. His own evil desires. That's the first D in this progression of temptation. Desire. Now, our desires, they fuel our actions, all of our actions, and they should draw us closer to God. That's why we have a desire to love others, a desire to care for people, a desire to provide for them, to strive for righteousness and holiness. And these are good, healthy, strong desires. They are powerful. They are purposeful. But those same desires can be twisted. They can be exploited by Satan to have the opposite effect. Instead of drawing us closer to God, they pull us further and further away. And I believe the main way our desires turn evil is based on how we allow them to be developed by the culture that we live in. Let me say that again. I think the main way our desires turn to evil is how we allow them to be developed by the culture that we live in. Everything around us, whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, it has a way of distorting our desires. That's why we have to be so careful what we allow ourselves to be influenced by. In the opening line of his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, which is a fantastic book if you've never read it, Winning the War in Your Mind, Craig Rochelle, he writes this, Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. He says what we think shapes who we are. And that's so true. In fact, not only science backs this up, but scripture does as well. Consider what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have seen or learned or received from me, then put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In that one brief passage, we move from thought, think about such things, to action, put it into practice, And we end with experience, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you know that there's an entire discipline of modern psychology that's been developed called cognitive behavior therapy? 
cognitive behavior therapy. And this breakthrough teaching reveals that most problems from eating disorders to addictions to relational challenges, they are rooted in repeated negative patterns of thinking. Repeated negative patterns of thinking. In the world of psychology, this is referred to as the law of cognition. Our thoughts can alter our desires which shape our lives. And I think what's so great about this is that the Bible actually spoke about this thousands of years ago. All right, this is maybe a new thing for psychologists, but the Bible wrote about it thousands of years ago. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Read that with me. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. You see, our thoughts, they are defining. They are deepening to our character, and sometimes they distort our good desires to be bad. That's why we have to really pay attention to what comes inside. And this is referred to as the law of exposure. The law of exposure states that our minds absorb and then they reflect what they are exposed to the most. Everything you watch and listen to. All of the things that you give your attention to, they will dictate what you desire the most. It's what I shared just a few weeks ago, right? The whole garbage in, garbage out. Your input directly affects your output. So if you want to change unhealthy desires, if you can think of some unhealthy desires in your life right now, you can change them. You can change them. Don't be a a victim to the moment. You can change them by changing your input, changing what you consume. Now, there may be some of you who hear that and think, well, Eric, that's a bunch of baloney. I don't believe that at all, right? Maybe that affects some other people, but not me, right? I can watch what I want. I can listen to what I want. I can do anything that I want to, and my faith is good, and I'm not pulled away, whatever. Now, if that's you, I want to lovingly and kindly tell you baloney, right? That is not true. It is not true. Here's how I know it's not true. Because these things are laws, right? The law of cognition, the law of exposure, they are real. Science proves it, but God talked about it thousands of years ago. It's just like the law of gravity, okay? How many of you like the law of gravity? Nobody, nobody. I was playing basketball with my boys in the driveway yesterday, and they both said, Dad, go ahead and dunk it for us. Because I said, oh, I used to dunk back in college and high school. I said, That was a long time ago, boys. I cannot dunk anymore. And I hate the law of gravity for that, right? I can't jump as high as I used to jump. Nobody argues with the law of gravity. We know that it's a real thing. So why do we think that we can argue with the law of cognition and the law of exposure? What we allow into our minds alters our desires, which can change our lives for the good or for the bad. It's a fact. So the first step in the progression of temptation is desire. And that desire then turns to the second D, which is deception. Look back at James 1.14. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now that word dragged away, that's a hunting term. And it means snared by a trap. You take something that's desired and you use it as bait. That's all the trap is. That's how the tempter works. He knows what our desires are, and he sets a trap just for us. Just like those ring-tailed lemurs that we talked about earlier, they know they love those seeds, so they set the trap. Here's another good image of what this looks like. Let me show you a picture. 
This is Mason. This is Mason, and yes, he is trapped inside of one of those claw vending machines. This happened at a Beef O'Brady's a few years ago in Titusville, Florida. Mason saw the stuffed toys inside, and he desperately, he badly wanted one of those toys. I don't know how he fit himself into that little hole where they come out of, but he climbed up that little hole, and he got himself stuck inside that claw vending machine. Now, thankfully... Off-duty firefighter Jeremy House was also eating at this same restaurant that night. And he walks out to the lobby. He sees Mason, whose parents were not even paying attention to him at all. They were just eating at the Beef O'Brady's. They didn't even know where their son was. They see him, and he yells for 911, call 911. And some of his off-duty firefighters came. They safely rescued Mason from the claw machine. Now, I know what you're thinking. Poor Mason. How silly, how childish was he to get caught up in that claw vending machine surrounded by all those stuffed animals? Well, before we judge Mason, let's do a little honest reflection about us. This happens to us all the time. The only difference is the toys we're surrounded by are a lot fancier and a lot more expensive. Am I right? We get trapped owning things that we can't afford to impress people we don't even really like. We're drowning in debt, surrounded by all of our expensive toys that we don't even have time to play with because we're too busy working trying to pay off the loans for those toys. You see, there's no difference between us and Mason. We all get trapped from time to time. James then says we get enticed. Now, enticed, that's a fisherman's term which means lured by bait. So when our family goes on vacation during the summer, we always go to the beach. And a lot of times we'll go to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And that's one of my favorite places to go for a couple reasons. But one is because the Outer Banks is one of the only beaches I'm aware of where you can actually drive your truck out onto the beach. You can set up camp all day. You can have a little campfire and you can fish right there from the beach with your truck there. And I love to fish. Now, Jeff, my father-in-law, he's really good at it. He's taught me a lot. He's done it his whole life. I'm kind of new at it, right? Jeff, would you say you're a little bit better than I am at fishing? He laughs. Yeah, he's a little he's a little bit better. I'll admit that. But one of the things, one of the lessons I've learned about fishing from Jeff is this. If you don't bait the hook right, the fish won't bite. If you don't bait the hook right, the fish won't bite. You've got to cover that hook fully with whatever meat you're fishing with, whether that's shrimp or squid or another little piece of fish or worms, so that the fish don't see it. You want them to be enticed by the meat, not the hook. Every good fisherman knows how to hide the hook so that only the bait shows. And that's exactly what Satan does to us. He doesn't say, hey, here's a hook, go ahead and take a bite. No, no, no. He's crafty. He's crafty, and he'll cover that hook with whatever tempts us, with whatever bait that we enjoy nibbling on. I read an article this week by Christian author Don Stewart that was titled, How Does Satan Keep Unbelievers in Spiritual Darkness? And Don agrees with this idea that Satan really is a master fisherman. That's one of the things we can look at. He's a master fisherman. Don wrote, one of the favorite ways in which Satan operates is to get people to deny that he exists. If he can get people to doubt his existence, then he can do much of his work without their knowing. And that's what it looks like to hide the bait, 
to hide the hook. Oftentimes, he'll even blend things together to make it more deceiving. He'll take something that God has said is good and is pure and is right, and he will twist it. He'll dilute it with some lies so that you and I are blinded to the truth. And this is actually what uh, Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He says, the God of this age, who is that? Satan, yeah, the God of this age, Satan, Lucifer, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is how Satan works. He uses a lot of tricks to get us to feel just a little bit better about taking that bite. The next step in our progression of temptation is disobedience. James says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. Yeah, it gives birth to sin. Sin is disobedience. They are one and the same. You and I are lured away. We are enticed by our own evil desires, just like the fish is lured away by the bait. And the truth is, we all know, right? We all know that bait isn't going to help us at all. We all know that it's wrong. We know that we're headed for trouble if we go after that bait. But guess what? We do it anyway, don't we? We do it anyway. We still desire it. And in that moment, when we see that bait dangling on the hook, we all have a choice. We can either take it and give in to the temptation, or we can swim away and be delivered and avoid the disobedience. We can swim away. That reminds me of the scene from the great kids movie, Finding Nemo. Any Finding Nemo fans? Y'all remember this, right? When Bruce the shark, he's chasing Dory and the other little fish, the clownfish, and the, uh, the goggles that they are trying to catch to find the address, they sink all the way down and they're headed towards the bombs that are about to explode. What does Bruce say? He says, swim away, swim away, and he just goes as far as he can get away from these bombs exploding. That's the same thing for us. If we don't swim away, if we take the bait, then we die. We die. The moment we give in to that evil desire, we cross the line from deception to disobedience. And that's a very thin line to cross That is the moment when sin is conceived. Then James 1.15 says, sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. And death is the last step in our progression of temptation. The imagery James uses here is very graphic. He refers to a pregnancy. It's when we think that our sinful desires are going to bring us pleasure and fun and laughter and enjoyment. It's going to bring us all these things that we've wanted, but the only thing that it delivers is a stillborn child. That's the sad, gory reality of sin. Almost on every occasion, the moment when a child is born, born, that's reason to celebrate right? We cry tears of joy. We laugh. We hug. We celebrate. We take pictures and videos. It is a moment to rejoice. Maybe that's why James uses such a stark contrast here. He wants us to remember how bad it hurts us when we sin. Because the reality is no matter how good it may feel in the moment, 
the only thing it brings us is a stillborn child because it sucks all of the life and joy out of you. You see, temptation may promise intimacy, but it delivers loneliness. It may promise pleasure, but it delivers pain. Temptation promises life, but it always, always delivers death. And that word death, it refers to when the soul leaves the body. Spiritually, that's the moment when you and I are separated from God. So let's recap. Our desires lead to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. Disobedience, sin, ends in what? It ends in death. Now that's the bad news. We spent a whole lot of time talking about the bad news. But there's good news. There is hope. And I love how James wraps this up. Look at verses 16 and 17. Read this with me, please. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's the good news, friends. He says, don't be deceived by what this world says. Don't be deceived by what your best friend's telling you. Don't be deceived by what culture says. Don't be deceived by what Satan lures you away with. God is a good, good father. His gifts are amazing. You can absolutely trust him. The gifts from God, they're not just some bait and switch. They're real. They're perfect. They're pure. And they are just for you. Jesus promised in John 10.10 that the thief, Satan, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So swim away from temptation. Stay focused. Stay focused on the good gifts that your heavenly Father gives you every single day. And I think the best way for you and I to resist temptation is to replace it with the truth of Jesus. That's the best way, is to replace it with the truth of Jesus. Because if we just try to resist it on our own, ultimately we're going to fail. Every single time. The harder we try, the more we fail if we try to resist it on our own. But when we replace our temptation with the truth of Jesus, that's when we begin to see victories More victories every single time. The bottom line is this. What I want you to walk away with is this one fact. When you replace your simple desires with Christ, you can be delivered. Say that with me. When you replace your sinful desires with Christ, you can be delivered. On each of your seats as you came in, there was a a little card. Go ahead and get that card up right now, please. And it simply says, my sinful desire is blank. What I want us to do as we head into a time of worship, I want us all to be real with ourselves. Be real with ourselves. Because the truth is, every single person in here today, me included, we all struggle with something. There's a temptation trap. There's some bait that's dangling in front of us that the tempter wants us to go after. We're all struggling with something. 
we're dragged away by our own evil desires and we are caught, we are hooked by sin. God knows that. He knew it from the very beginning, which is why he gave you and I the best gift ever, his son Jesus. It's why he traded his life for ours. Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross so that you and I could be freed and forgiven and redeemed and rescued. God knew that. God sees our pain. He sees our hurt. He sees the temptation. He sees the guilt. He sees the sin. He sees the shame. And that is why he gave us Jesus to take it all away. So in the next few moments, I want you just to take a moment and be transparent with God and yourself. And I want to ask you to write down whatever that temptation is for you. This is between you and God. I'm not going to see these cards. Nobody's going to look at these cards. This is between you and God. If you don't have a pen, then visualize what that is. And when you're ready, I've got three stations set up, two here by the speakers. There's one by the table in the back. When you're ready to really be honest with yourself and God, I want you to trade in your temptation for a little button that says delivered. It's got a little apple on it that says delivered. And this symbolizes the truth that when we trade in our temptations for the truth of Jesus, he delivers us every single time. You can't do it on your own. You have to have Jesus. So when you're ready, you can stand and you can make your way, drop off your card and get a button. But let me pray. Father, in this moment right now, God, I do pray that your Holy Spirit moves. Father, as we've read your word, we know, we know the progression of temptation. We know how it starts and we know how it ends. God, it ends in death and complete separation from you. But Father, if, if we place our faith in you, if we trade in those evil desires for your son Jesus, we can be delivered. And God, that's the most important thing we can hear today. So Father, I pray that in these next moments, you would help us to want nothing else but you. God, only you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray all this in his name.